That's one of the, the real flaws when we get into C11 and that sort of stuff, or the big missed opportunity, right? You could have come up with a new Canadian Communications Act. You could have redesigned the whole commission, done something, you know, visionary and forward-looking that captured the 21st century. But now we're dealing with the internet as kind of an annex. I would say that the internet is really the center of the new digital age. And so the commissioners should understand the internet. This is what's driving our new digital economy, etc. This is the centerpiece. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Sessions, presented by Playback and the Creative School, a four-part series that unpacks the history being made right now. As Canada's media industry leans into the global online era or not, join us as key stakeholders weigh in on Bill C-11, the Online Streaming Act. I'm your host, Irene Berkowitz. Today, we're discussing the Online Streaming Act and the CRTC, the Canadian Radio and Television Commission. If C-11 passes, CRTC's job will be to implement the bill with regulation and policy. With the current CRTC planning to weigh in after the House of Commons Heritage Committee reviews the bill, we chat today with two CRTC icons and hear their advice. Conrad von Finkenstein was CRTC chair 2007 to 2012. During his term, CRTC became the first regulator in the world to establish a net neutrality policy. Conrad's been head of Canada's Competition Bureau, Justice of our Federal Court, and founding chair of the International Competition Network. Peter Menzies was CRTC vice chair and president of telecommunications 2013 to 2017, and previously CRTC commissioner from Alberta and the Northwest Territories, and president and CEO of the Calgary Herald newspaper. He's now a senior fellow at MLI, the McDonald Laurier Institute. For transparency, I'll just add that Peter and I collaborated on a report for MLI last fall about how Canada can become a leader in digital communications, and Peter and Conrad just released an MLI report that solves the online harms puzzle, the next big thing on our national media agenda. But back to C11. Warm welcome to you both. So here we go. The future of Canadian media is here, or is it? What are each of your hot takes on the Online Streaming Act? Through a host of regulatory and subsidy measures, and why the whole internet, which is a huge innovator, an engine of innovation, of, of growth, of economic wealth, etc., why do you try to subject them to this? And you may stifle innovation. You may have all sorts of unintended side effects, etc. I just do not understand why they chose this. And secondly, if you actually implement the present act, I don't think CRTC, as constituted with their present resources, could possibly manage this. It would take years of litigations and hearings, etc. And it is just a backward approach to a very simple problem is to bring the, the streamers, i.e. the people who broadcast over the Internet, into the system and make them contribute. What they've tried to do is, you know, throw a harness around change in that sense and and rein it in. I mean, I'm more inclined to say, here's change. How can we figure out how to ride it? How can we figure out how to make this into something really, really special? What they need to do is carve out the part that worries them. Define the problem. And the problem is probably companies that make more than $100 million a year. 
Um, and if folks want money, just carve that out and go get the money. So all the powers that you are giving the CRTC under 10.2 to register over 9.1 to impose should be limited. You know, don't aren't interested in the small fry. You are interested in the people who run it as a business. And limit the act to that. And you have dealt with a problem. And by the way, you you, get, you have no more problem about freedom of speech and, and user-generated content, etc. You can actually leave the act as it is. You just say that those who you can insist that they be registered and those who can insist that they contribute to the system or to various things are limited to this class of people. Leave the rest of the Internet in peace. What you're trying to do, you're trying to protect the existing system against the Hulus and, and, and Netflix. This legislation creates so much hesitancy. And the one thing markets dislike is uncertainty. They need to know if they're going to invest and you're going to get prosperity and innovation and all the sorts of things you want in an economy, you have to have some sense of certainty. And this C11 used to be C10, you know, um, it creates so much uncertainty and leaves so much up to the CRTC to define. And the powers it grants it are so sweeping, even once the CRTC fences it off once, which they'll have to when they go through it the first time, people will still be wondering how solid the fence is. You're both talking about the whole of internet scope, the need to limit the scope according to a well-defined purpose. Where would this change ideally happen? Now in the bill, well, it's proposed legislation or down the road at the CRTC? What do you recommend Oh, no. Absolutely. This is a government decision. This is not something that you give to to an appointed body. I, I cannot see how, how you will leave this to the CRTC. It's not a body that's capable of doing or should be. This is a government decision. The government should decide, yes, we want to go after large-scale streamers. These are the streamers, and this is what you can do, CRTC. Near as I can tell, the, the proponents want two things, that they're not going to lose the financial support they've had to create Canadian content and have built their business models on. So why don't we just take all of that stuff off the table and just deal with the big streaming companies and have a discussion about how much they're investing in Canada, how much they're taking out of Canada, and how much we want to make sure is reinvested. Because, uh, you know, it's kind of crazy that you'd let anybody, any other industry come in and take a billion dollars a year, or I'm just picking that out of the air, in revenue and not leave anything behind. And there's a second problem. Even once you establish any kind of funding that we have, you have to be Canadian-owned and controlled, and you have to know the IP rights. So you establish a new regime, Netflix has fine, and they pay whatever it is. They can't access it because they're not Canadian-owned and controlled, and they don't own this. Of course, they want to do own the IP rights, so they can sell it anywhere. But no, it has to be owned by Canadians. So if you're going to do this, you actually have to do the second step. You have to somehow provide that they can also access it. So if they want to produce a Canadian movie with Canadian actors filmed in Canada based on a Canadian screen, they are still not eligible because they're not Canadian-owned and controlled. 
So as an empire, as I pointed out many times, this is going to run smack into the Canada-Mexico-US agreement. There's no way that this is going to stand up. I mean, you can't uh, force people as part of regulation to pay into something to which they have only their competitors have access, but they don't. So I'm glad you're bringing this up because I, I had wanted to ask you about two questions on this exact uh, thing. Canadian content, which you mentioned, it was actually never conceptually defined. So it sort of got a procedural definition, the CRTC's 10-point system. But post-C11, and this gets into what you were just saying, Conrad, how will CRTC manage to define Canadian content? Well, unless they abandon the whole existing structure right now, as you know, you can get funding from the Canadian Media Fund, you can get it from the CRTC, you can get it from Telefilm Canada, or you can get interim tax release if you comply with Kafka. All four of them have the same rule. You've got to be Canadian-owned and controlled, and you have to be the owner of the IP rights. So... Unless the CRTC says we're going to establish a whole new subsidy regime which takes this away, which I cannot uh, see them doing, and besides, I can imagine the outcry that there would be, I have no idea how they're going to do this. And there's a broader issue here, too, that has never been resolved, and the CRTC struggled with it forever, is what is the point of CanCon? Is it cultural or is it an industrial subsidy? Decide what your primary purpose is and focus on that. It's kind of like pick a lane. There, this is also connected to what I'm calling the great unhooking from legacy broadcasters. Uh, Momentum is said to be building for a producer access platform agnostic funding. How will CRTC even begin to implement that? One of the tricky things with this is that it, it decouples, as was being said, uh, Canadian ownership from the tr- traditional Broadcasting Act definition of of uh, the necessity of being Canadian-owned and controlled. So in a sense, you're, you're kind of outsourcing your cultural funding. You know, American companies are going to be providing funding for Canadian culture. It's not, you know, uh, irrational, but it is, you are outsourcing it, or the opportunities there. A, a cynical person would take a look at it and say, well, that's an opportunity for the Canadian companies to lessen their funding burden. Um, and ask for that in exchange, where they would go in and say, like right now, 30% is the is the ask of your revenues for Bell. Uh, I think it's it's lower for Rogers, but for Bell, it's it's 30% of your revenues have to go into the production of Canadian programming, right? It would be very easy for them to go in to that upcoming CRTC hearing whenever it happens and say, well, look, now you've got all this money you're going to get from Netflix. You've got all this money you're going to get from these guys. You don't need 30%. That's more money than people can spend. That's way more money. I mean, there's going to be a lot of money in there if you look at it with current formulas. So at the end of the day, it could be a, a lesser commitment from Canadian companies being replaced by a larger commitment from non-Canadian companies. Well, Peter, in all fairness, the logic, whether you accept it or not, is that you want to expose Canadians to Canadian content. Nobody but Canadians will produce it. So therefore, you have to uh, subsidize a Canadian industry, a production industry, in order to get Canadian content. That's the logic that has been advanced, and that's the CRT still sticks to it. Is that logic 
make any sense in, in the 21st century when lots of countries, including some Canadian shows, are killing it on the global stage. I mean, just let's talk about discoverability um, and whether this, that can even be regulated. We have Kim's Convenience and Schitt's Creek and many other shows that are really popular on the global stage. Is the logic that you need to incentivize creation, is that valid? I mean, I've, I would say, think no. I mean, this, somebody, let's say, let Netflix, wants to make money in Canada. If there is a demand and, and if there's a desire for people to watch something that reflects Canada, of course they will produce it because the Canadian market is it, but they will produce it in such a way that they can also sell it in other markets besides again. They are not going to produce something only for Canada, but they will produce it. But I don't see why they would not. If it's a good story, it's a, they can see the potential for it. It's selling, selling, sure. And we form it in the Rockies, no problem. You know, if it sells in Norway, wonderful. So I, there's, there's this very narrow view that in actually only Canadians can do it and you have to subsidize, otherwise you won't get any stories out of Canada. In, in, the, in today's age, I just think it doesn't make any sense anymore. First of all, I mean, making hits in film or TV is a really risky business. Right. It's like one of the worst businesses you can possibly go into if you're looking for a guaranteed return on investment. That said, the best way to do it, I think, is, you know, on a market basis that you are creating programming that appeals to people because there's not much point in creating it. I mean, unless you're just designing it for purely industrial subsidy, there's not much point in creating it unless somebody's going to watch it. It's a cultural failure unless you do. And you have to understand that probably you know, eight out of 10 aren't going to achieve the sort of audiences you, you you want to do. But as Conrad said, if it's a good story, well told, it will succeed. I would go further than Peter. I would say that the internet is really the center of the new digital age. And so the commissioners should understand the internet. This is what's driving our new digital economy, etc. This is the centerpiece. You have to understand how it functions and your decisions have to reflect your knowledge of that. And that, on that basis, they should be chosen. Actually, and that's a good point because I'm happy. It's not the first time I've been corrected by Conrad and it won't be the last, but I think it was a good correction. That's one of the, the real flaws when we get into C11 and that sort of stuff are the big missed opportunity, right? You could have come up with a new Canadian Communications Act. You could have redesigned the whole commission, done something, you know, visionary and forward-looking that captured the 21st century. But now we're dealing with the internet as kind of an annex to the broadcasting world, right? And and, and broadcasting is just a teeny, teeny, tiny part of the internet. If you were leadership chair or vice chair now of the CRTC, what would you do? What's your advice? Let's reduce the scope. We are, in effect, pass. As, as only those people have to register meet these criteria so you catch the big streamers. The other one, clearly say, you're exempt. And you're exempt for all of I don't want to deal with you. This doesn't make sense. And I'll to apply the Broadcasting Act to you makes no sense. So here is my universe. That would be the very number one. And then hold a hearing and have them all appear and say, what is it you can do to help us meet the goals as set out in this legislation? You know, 
And, you know, what, this, what does this coverability mean in terms of streamers? You know, what do you, what do you reflection of, of the Canadian reality? What would you do, et cetera? And then on, on the basis of those hearings, et cetera, you can then construct a policy. But you have a manageable university. Very much the same sort of instincts is that the first thing you would want to do, and you would want to signal it, I think, right away, because you, you don't want to risk... The legislation itself will create uncertainty. A lot of those small YouTube creators and that sort of stuff, they're really scared right now from, from what I can understand. They're really nervous. They, they, they don't have enough money to get into this, but they're really scared and nervous. So the first thing is to signal that, okay, we're going to fence this off and we're going to, just from an operational point of view, like if you're running that, make sure whatever you're going to do, you can do well. And if you spread your resources too thin, you're going to create confusion, dry up investment, and uh, and you're going to do harm. So it's almost, I guess, go back to the medical thing <laughs> to use, you know, to rephrase Conrad. It's like first do no harm, but fence it off. Get the piece you want. You might you you might be tempted to take more, but just take what you can you can chew. User generated content is off the table. We don't want to deal with it. We have no intention to deal yeah. with it. It has nothing to do with broadcasting. And so anybody who's worried about us touching free speech, that's not on the table. I would take that off at the very far beginning. Yeah, a regulator really never wants to be in the news. You don't want to be the story any more than a referee wants to be the story from a hockey game. Figure out the rules, keep it simple, apply them fairly. When you've we've seen everything, when you come, please address the following points, sort of six or seven, etc. Clearly showing what our thinking was and what you want. And so just to narrow things and get people to focus and they can see that's where our concern is, etc. And that's, I think that would be very helpful in this case too. With all we have discussed, and this is about you know, missed opportunities that don't come along very often because legislation is a very big deal. C-11, pass or no pass, and why? I think it'll pass because Minister Pablo Rodriguez has said that, you know, we'll listen to people. They'll show some flexibility, whether that goes the way I want it to or whether it goes the other way, I don't know. But he said he's open to amendments. Yeah, unfortunately, I agree with you. I think it will pass. But the two things. One, it has a much better exemption for user-generated content than C11, C10 had did. And that will take a lot of steam out of the opposition, I think. Secondly, under this bill, the government gets a huge power of direction, far more than they have under, under in the present legislation. I think they are now committed to do it this way. I'm just hoping that both the Senate and in, in light of public pressure, there will be some sensible directions coming out, limiting the vast power that's been given to the CRTC. But whatever happened to the government's innovation agenda? This government is like five years ago, that's all you heard about was, you know, what we're going to do about innovation and that sort of stuff. And maybe they're doing it someplace else, but on this file, there's there's nothing innovative about it. Why is the Minister of Heritage become the Minister of Internet? I just don't understand it. And most other governments have either formed a new department or a minister and given specific responsibility for this. It made sense 30 years ago. It doesn't today. I can only hope that the two of you will be front and center, if not in those conversations in the House of Commons and in the Senate, and that I hope that 
the government will will listen to you. Well, Pablo Rodriguez did say they'd listen to experts, and I'm I'm hoping the three of us are included in his definition. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure we will be, but I'm hoping. No. Well, for sure you two are. I want to thank you both for your truly valuable time, your incredible depth of expertise and your amazing wisdom. It has been just so fabulous chatting with you. Thanks. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for inviting us. For previous episodes of the sessions, transcriptions, show notes, and more coverage on the online streaming act, please follow the link from the playback website. And because our mission is to inform and future-proof Canadian media policy, We would love it if you could spread the word about this podcast to your colleagues, friends, and on social media. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Irene Berkowitz, and this has been The Sessions.